everybody. Uh, man, I'm so thankful that you guys are all here. Uh, welcome to Gospel Night. And I'm thankful to be here. My name is Kent. I'm not a pastor or anything like that. I'm a third year. I'm a busy con major. Um, and I'm not up here primarily to talk about myself or to share with you my clever life hacks because I don't have any. But I'm here to tell you about the greatest news that this world has ever known. I'm here to tell you about the gospel, the message that has changed my life. But before I do that, let me set a scene for you. Imagine for a moment a friend, we'll call him Jonathan. If your name's Jonathan, I apologize, that's not intentional. Um, but Jonathan's a young guy, he's your friend, and he goes in to see the doctor one day for his yearly physical. And the doctor runs some routine tests, and the results come back, and the doctor realizes that Jonathan, though he feels perfectly healthy, actually has cancer. Now the doctor has a couple options at this point. One, he can sweep the tests under the rug, tell Jonathan that he's fine, has nothing to worry about, send him on his merry way. Right, this may be the easiest option, at least in the short run. Doctor wouldn't have to be the bearer of bad news, wouldn't have to ruin Jonathan's day. But we know that it would be far more loving for the doctor to actually tell Jonathan that he has cancer, to actually tell him the bad news so that they can start treatment. The doctor has to bring the diagnosis first before he can offer any treatment. And the treatment isn't good news to Jonathan unless he understands the bad news first. In the same way, the gospel isn't good news unless you understand the bad news first. And so for these next few minutes, I have to talk about the bad news. And it's not something I particularly enjoy. Um, it probably won't make me any friends. Uh, but it's so necessary for us to hear how God, the great physician, diagnoses us. So, the gospel begins with God. That there exists a holy and perfect and all-powerful creator God who created this entire universe and has created mankind, has created you and me, the Bible says, in his own image. And part of what that means is that God has created you and me with the unique capacity to know and to love God and to be known and to be loved by God. This is our purpose. You are not some cosmic accident, but you are intentionally crafted by God for this purpose, to know God, to love God, to be known God, by God, and to be known and be loved by God. This is your purpose. But here's the bad news. That every one of us, has rebelled against the Creator's purpose for our lives. That we have all failed to love God perfectly. And because of that, the Bible calls that sin. In a book of the Bible called Romans, in chapter 3, verse 23, God gives His diagnosis of mankind. And He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But sin is universal. You and I, are, are, we are all sinners in this room. If you don't believe that diagnosis, well, let's run some tests. Have you ever lied? I have. Have you ever yelled at a parent or a sibling out of anger? Have you ever gossiped 
talked badly about a friend behind their back? Have you ever cheated on a test or on an assignment? Have you ever held a grudge, refused to forgive someone? Have you ever watched pornography or looked at someone with lust? Jesus says that if you even look at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever, at any point in your life, failed to love and obey God perfectly? This is the test. And if you've answered yes to any of these questions, then no matter how good of a person you may think you are, the Bible's diagnosis is crystal clear. You're a sinner. And so am I. And that's a problem. Because God is a good and just and holy God. And sin is a divine crime with a divine consequence. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means that what we get in return for our sin is death, not just physical death when we die, but an eternal death in a place called hell after we die. And hell, which is this place of eternal and unrelenting conscious torment away from the presence of God, this is the just punishment for our sin. This is what you and I deserve. Imagine for a moment a human courtroom with a human judge and in walks a murderer. And all the evidence is stashed against the murderer and he's guilty of the crime beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now what if that judge said, I know you did it, man. But you know what? It's okay. Why don't you just Go ahead and go free, no consequences. Would that be a good judge? Right? Are you going to applaud him for letting a guilty murderer go free without any consequence? No, right? We know this would be a terrible judge, and we'd be rioting to make sure that that judge got fired. A good judge would uphold the law, would uphold justice, and would sentence that criminal to the appropriate punishment. In the same way, God is a good judge who cannot and will not simply overlook our sin. He must uphold the law and execute justice because he is a just and good God. And so, if you, if you haven't seen yet, we have a problem. And this is the bad news. That we are all guilty sinners. And God is is a good and right judge who cannot and, and will not overlook our sin. It must be punished. And you have to see this, that every one of us in our sin has stuck the middle finger up to God and hated him in our sin. The Bible says that no one is neutral to God. And we deserve the eternal wrath of God in hell as punishment. And so the question has to be asked, what is this good and holy and just God going to do with a wicked and rebellious people like you and like me? And we find the most amazing 
and beautiful answer to that question in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, that for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, that God demonstrated his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we hated him, that's when he died for us. Here's the good news of the gospel. Here's the love and the mercy of God put on full display. Jesus Christ, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago, who was fully God and fully man, lived a completely sinless life, something that you and I could never do. He was tempted in every way, just like you and I are, but he never sinned. And after three years of teaching and preaching and performing miracles and loving the lowly and the outcasts of society, he was crucified on a Roman cross like a criminal. They beat him. And they stripped him naked and spat upon him. And they flogged him until his back was raw. And they twisted a crown of thorns and pressed it upon his head. And then they laid him on a wooden cross. And drove nails through both wrists. And they put his feet together. And drove a single stake through both feet. And they raised him up to hang there and to die a slow and humiliating and excruciating death. This was the Son of God. He had all the power in the universe. He could have snapped his fingers and come down from that cross. He didn't have to take this, and he didn't deserve this. He was sinless, the one person who's ever lived who didn't deserve to die. Yet he endured that cross. Why? Why did he stay there? Some of you may know that Christ died on the cross. But maybe not all of you know why he died on that cross. The Bible tells us that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for our sake, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get what's happening there? There's a, there's a switch, there's a trade that takes place. That Christ willingly exchanges his righteousness, his perfection for our sinfulness so that the wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on Jesus instead of on us. That we deserve the wrath of God in hell because of our sin. But Jesus, in his great love and in his great mercy, stands in our place and bears the wrath that we deserved. Jesus bled and died not for his own sins because he didn't have any. He bled and died for my sins, for my lust, for my arrogance, for my anger and hatred. And not for my sins only, but for the sins of all who will believe upon Jesus Christ. And when Christ died, he yelled, it is finished. The debt that we owed for our sin was paid in full. God's justice was satisfied and our sins forgiven.
can you see the love of God here? Can you see his blood poured out for you? Can you hear him cry in agony from the cross for you? That should have been you on that cross. It should have been me. And he endured it. Jesus takes our sin on the cross. And in return, he gives us his righteousness. So that when God looks at those who believe in Jesus Christ, he no longer sees us for all of our sinfulness because that's been paid for on the cross, but he sees us as if we were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, as if we had lived the perfect life that he lived. And on that basis, we are forgiven and made right with God. And Christ did not stay in the grave, but three days later he rose triumphant over sin and over death and to give us assurance that in Christ we can have eternal life. And so at this point you may be thinking, that sounds great, but uh, how can I get in on that? How can my sins be forgiven? And it would be bad news if the answer to that question was work for it. It would be bad news if the answer to that question was be a good enough person to deserve it because you can never be good enough to deserve salvation. Salvation cannot be earned by being a good moral person. Forgiveness cannot be deserved by living life to the best of your ability, but it's only through faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior that you can be saved and be forgiven of your sin and be carried to heaven when you die. All other religions teach some form of be a good enough person, do enough good things, but Christianity stands alone in this. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Salvation is a free gift given out of the sheer grace and generosity of God to be received by us by faith. If anyone repents, that means if anyone forsakes the old life of sin and turns to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior from your sins and as Master over your life, you will be saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation comes by turning away from sin and trusting in what Jesus has done for you in his death and in his resurrection. Now, I want to be clear that following Jesus is not easy. That there will be hardship and it will be painful to turn away from old habits of sin. And people, your family, your friends, they may hate you because of your allegiance to Jesus. Following Jesus does not mean that your life will be healthy and wealthy, that there will be no problems, that life will be a stroll through the park. In fact, Jesus himself says the exact opposite is true. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, 
for I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't promise a trouble-free life, but he promises that in the midst of the trouble of this world, he has overcome the world. In the midst of the pain and the suffering that you will endure as a Christian, he will be your joy and your rock-solid hope through it all. Faith in Jesus and repentance of sin is not the easy way, but it is the only way. No other religion can forgive your sin. No political platform can cancel the debt that you owe. No amount of good deeds can bridge the chasm between you and God, but only through faith, through humble reception of what he has done for you. Only through faith in Jesus Christ can we be saved from our sins. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through me. He is the only way. He is the only cure. It's been a year now since your friend Jonathan's diagnosis and his cancer has progressed and he's bedridden now. And you're visiting him today, sitting by his bedside because the doctor has informed him that he only has days to live. And as you're sitting there with him, suddenly the doctor bursts through the door with a violent hand. It says, good news! Jonathan, the cure to cancer has been found. All you have to do is take it and live. And Jonathan sees the doctor and hears this good news and opens his mouth and he says, thanks, doc, but no thanks. And instead, he points to a glass of lemon water by his bedside. And he explains, you see, Doc, I appreciate it, but I don't need your cure. Because I have this lemon water right here. And I know that if I drink it every day, I'll be just fine. If you love Jonathan, what would you do? If he's your friend, what would you say to him? Would you not plead with him and tell him all the reasons that he needs this cure? Wouldn't it be loving to tell him that he's wrong, that he's headed for his own death? that he's putting his hope in something that has no power to save him. And just as you would plead with Jonathan out of love, so I plead with all of you here tonight who are not saved, who are not believers in Jesus Christ. I speak 
not as a third-year busy con student. I speak as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. I speak as one representing my king. Come to Jesus Christ. His arms are wide open to you. He stands ready to forgive you of all of your sins and to adopt you as his own child. My God is a father to the fatherless. He is a healer to the hurting and a savior to the sinner. My Jesus is the king of the universe, the compassionate physician, the only cure to the cancer of sin. God takes no pleasure in the death of sinners. And if you are not saved, he lovingly desires that you would forsake your sin and embrace him as your God and Savior. Why would you reject him? Why would you continue to live in sin? Why would you keep drinking lemon water? when the cure is right in front of you. I plead with you tonight, if you have never done so, to receive Jesus Christ as Savior from your sin and as Master over your life and live. Turn from sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. As a fellow Bruin, as a friend, as a dying man to dying people, do not wait. For you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know when your time will be up. But right now, God has brought you to this place to hear this message. And He now calls you and invites you and commands you to turn away from sin to turn to him to confess that you are a sinner and to ask for the mercy of God and he will forgive to turn to Jesus and live We're going to have a short time of response. Um, there are going to be people coming down and to, towards the front. They have name tags on. And they're here for you. Um, I, I want to invite all of you to, to seriously consider the gospel. Consider the message. Consider the condition of your soul. And there's going to be some people with name tags in the front. And if you have 
questions about Christianity or about anything that I've shared tonight, if you want to believe in Jesus and be saved, if you are unsure, if you are a Christian, or maybe your life doesn't reflect what you say you believe, if you need prayer of of any kind, if you have really any spiritual need or want to talk to someone about anything, and they're here for you.